Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, if there's ever an area where we need God's grace and direction in our lives, it's in our families, amen? So we're starting a new series this weekend called Family Works. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryland, and, you know, I pray for you every day. And it was about a year ago this time that I started praying about 2023 and asking God's direction of what's the emphasis going to be for the year of uh, 2023, and God led, it, led us to making it a year of great faith in our lives. And so in the first half of the year, that first season, uh, we did a, a spiritual growth emphasis churchwide called Daring Faith. And Daring Faith was all about sowing and going and giving in faith and setting some faith goals for the year ahead. And we learned in that time what faith is, that faith, the definition of faith is seen from God's point of view, Uh, that we don't see it ourselves, we can't hold it in our hands, but we have faith eyes, we have eyes to see. God gives us the the assurance and the certainty to be able to see and live by something that we cannot see. Jesus told Peter once, "Uh, you're seen only merely from a human point of view, not with eyes of faith, seen from God's perspective. So in just about every sermon this year, Uh, you have heard me say that somewhere in a sermon, that faith is seen from God's point of view, seen from God's perspective. And that's bled into all of our series, talking about God's plan for the future, seeing the future from God's perspective. Uh, We've talked about how to uh, have freedom from our fears, uh, faith for what's next in our lives. And now we're going to look at how this impacts our family and our marriages and our relationship with our parents and kids and and how it works in our family. Now, God has given us a tool to be able to see from his point of view, and that is his word. That is the Holy Bible. Uh, We may not always understand it, but it gives us just enough that we can live from God's perspective and make decisions uh, from his sovereign will, his moral will, and discern his will for our lives. And today we're going to begin to see our family with faith, see our family from God's point of view. Now some of you might think, well in my scenario, thank goodness I can kind of take this series off, right? Like I don't know what your scenario may be or season of life or whatever, but no, no, we're all connected to a family in some way, like you didn't just magically appear in in your life, right? Like there is some uh, relationships that we can apply and relationships that need work. I'll tell you, I am so thankful for my family. I'm thankful for your family. This church desires to help you make your family work and to serve and equip your family in faith. But I can tell you something I have absolutely learned about family, and that is if you're taking notes, it's that every family needs work. Every family. Every family. I'll say it this way. Every family has some dysfunction. Families are made up of sinners. And some families may have found some victory or be healthier than others, but every family has struggles. And if you ever say, well, I wish my family were more like that family, 
be careful what you wish for, okay? Because, yeah, it's good to have models and advisors and people to look up to and everything, uh, but uh, you don't see all the things of that family, and every family has some dysfunction. Every family needs work. And God knew, God knew where you'd be born, to whom you'd be born, and he used your family, he used your parents to build you and to begin making you who you are. I, I love the, the dynamics of family. It's just so interesting to me. Families are so interesting to me. The things we pick up from our families, the traditions, the quirks, the humor. Like If you've ever been married, it's just fascinating. If you've got two really whole systems coming together of traditions and things and inside jokes and all of this stuff colliding and it gets fascinating and all these things. Okay, but here's the thing. Marriage and family is under a lot of criticism at the same time. In fact, our culture is not seeing the family from God's point of view, from God's perspective. Our culture is questioning and doubting the family. And sadly today, marriage is dismissed by many people. The family is seen as archaic, uh, that that's something for another generation, another culture, man-made lifestyle. And part of the problem is many people don't know the basics of family anymore. So they uh, get in a relationship, but they delay marriage because they don't understand the basics of marriage. Uh, Family relationships are just seen as we'll take it or leave it. But God gave us marriage and God gave us family for a reason. And most people just don't know why family uh, makes a difference and why it matters. In fact, most people have an incredibly unrealistic view of their family relationships, one that that no one could measure up to. It begins with marriage. People think (laughs) that marriage will solve their problems. Thank you, yes, some of you realize the humor behind that. Marriage won't solve any of your problems, friend. A lot of people think that marriage creates problems. I've had people tell me, hey, I didn't have any problems till I got married. No, marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage doesn't create problems. Marriage reveals problems. Family reveals problems. Because you, they see you, you see them in a, in a different way. If I'm cranky, my family will reveal it. If I'm a perfectionist, my family will reveal it. If I'm fearful or insecure, my family will reveal it. If I'm bitter or controlling or manipulative or lustful, my family will reveal that. It magnifies it. It doesn't create or solve problems. It just magnifies the problems. So marriage or family isn't going to solve all your problems. There are a lot of things that marriage uh, cannot do. But it does have a design function. And family does have a design function. And we're only fulfilled in the family when we look to the designer and the builder of the family. In the book of Psalm, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. So we need to know um, how family works to make it work, what God designed to make it work. So we need to know every family needs work, but also another truth we need to know is that the family is God's idea. Would you write that in? Family is God's idea. So today, I want to answer the question, why a family? What's a family for, and why did God set it up this way? Uh, You look at some of the poll numbers and people that are asked, uh, they cannot tell you, America cannot tell you why the family exists right now in majority. 
And so that would be a failure on my part if Rockbrook Church would be asked, well, what's the basics, what's the fundamental of the family? And so before we get going, in this series, we're going to talk about how to make family relationships work. We're going to talk about how to get along, how to disagree well, because there's things with your family you're never going to agree on. So how do you disagree well? Uh, how do you honor your family even when someone's doing the, the wrong thing? But if we don't know what the family is for, then we're not going to have a reason to do the other things. So we've got we've to look at the foundation here today. So today's just the theological foundation that we can build a framework in for the rest of the series. What's a family for? If you're taking notes, it starts with marriage. And what is marriage for? It's for the connection of men and women. Now, not everybody is supposed to be married. God said in his word that we get different gifts from him. Uh, to some, he gives the gift of marriage, and to some, he gives the gift of singleness. And no one gift is, is better than the other. It's just equip us for different things. How do you know if you have the gift of singleness? If you have any desire to get married, uh, you don't have that gift. If you say, really, I'd like to be married someday. I'd like to have a wife. I'd like to have a husband. You don't have the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness, when God gives it, means I'm perfectly happy to live the rest of my life not married, and I'm going to look to see what kingdom opportunities for God that that gives me that a, a married person uh, may not be able to, to fulfill or have. And in God's plan, though, we need each other. And a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of women might say, well, why would I need a man? Or a lot of men might say, why would I need a woman? Nobody holds the full image of God. God wired it this way. God thought up gender. That was God's idea. God thought up sex. That was his idea. These are not man-made constructs. The Bible goes back to the very beginning in the creation of the first couple. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, you need companions in all different areas of life, but there's nothing like the companionship the relationship of a marriage mark 10 verse 6 jesus said but at the beginning of creation god made the male and female and then he's, he's quoting quoting the genesis account for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let no one separate that passage says three things. First, it says that marriage is God's plan. It's not a human idea. It's God's idea. Second thing it says is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And the third thing it says is that marriage is, is permanent. What God joins together, no one should separate. It's meant to be for life. Now, that's radical teaching, radical from Jesus. But the first thing we know about Marriage is that God created it. He created it for the connection of men and women. But number two, God created marriage and the family for the multiplication of the human race. That's how he wants it to come apart or become uh, together, rather. The only reason that you're alive, let's back up here for a second. The only reason that you are able to love is that you were created in God's image. And God says, I want to love you, express my love to you, and I want you to have the ability to express it back. That's why you exist. If God didn't want to love you, you wouldn't exist. So he created the universe so he could create the human race so he could express his love, knowing that some of us would choose to love him back and we'd live for, with him forever in heaven. And the tool 
that he designed to bring that about was not a laboratory. It's not an institution. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then after the flood, uh, same command you see in Genesis 9-1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. God continued that plan. He chose Abraham, miraculously gave him a son in his old age, Genesis 21. And so it went all the way through there. God chose a, a person and a people group to bring about the Messiah. And in Galatians 4, says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And now, today, zooming out even broader, there are just over 8 billion of us on the planet right now because your parents and their parents and their parents, their parents were fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth. And Jesus was born in human flesh to live and die for the people that he himself created to rescue them. What's a family for? It's the connection of men and women for the multiplication of the human race. And number three, for the protection of children. Uh, write, write that word in if you would, protection. And then um, let's look immediately at this verse, Malachi 2.15. It says, you were united to your wife by the Lord. In God's wise plan, when you married, the two of you became one person in his sight. And what does he want? godly children from your union, therefore guard your passions. Now, this is not a discouragement or an indictment in any way uh, for childless couples, couples who don't have kids. There are couples who uh, choose not to have kids or who would love to have kids but cannot have them for whatever reason. If you're married and can't have kids, God's not disappointed in you. That's not what, what this verse is saying. What it's saying is that we're all alive because some couple got together. And God wants that done in the context of marriage and in the context of a family to protect that child. We all know that kids grow better, healthier, stronger when they grow in a stable family. When you were born, you were completely helpless. You could not do anything. You were literally, totally helpless. And God knew that children needed a safe environment. You were going to need someone to protect you, to guide you, to train you, to care for you, all these different things. And every single study that's ever been done is proving kids develop best in a stable family. Now, we're on a broken planet right now, and not everything works the way God wants it to. God's will is not being done in, in every family, in every area of life. And we know that. That people don't fulfill their commitments. People rebel, they abandon their families. Not everything works right. But that doesn't mean that the ideal isn't real. It is. And children thrive 
or children thrive in families, not in institutions. And so God created marriage for the connection of men and women, multiplication of the human race for protection of the children. And number four, I've been wanting to get to this one because this is a big one. What's a family for? It's for the refinement of our character. It's in relationships that we learn to be unselfish, where we learn to be loving. And no relationship has a greater impact on your life uh, than, than your family. So when you were born, not only were you completely helpless, not only was I completely helpless, you were, you were completely self-centered. Nothing on earth is more self-centered than a new baby. A baby does not even have the capacity to think of anyone else. All a baby can do is think of himself or herself. I'm too hot, I'm too cold, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I've got to watch Curious George right now! That's what's going on through a baby's mind. And maturity and the purpose of life is to flip that over, to to grow up and realize it's not about me, to go from it's all about me to it's not about me. That's the goal of life, to grow and be be totally self-centered from that to grow and be Christ-centered, to obey Christ, to be selfless, to be loving. Why is love, why is that goal the most important thing in life? Because God is love. God wants you to become like him, and he wants you to learn how to love. And we learn how to love through being unselfish. We learn how to obey Christ being unselfish. We learn uh, uh, to uh, be Christ-centered by picking up our cross, following him, being centered on Christ. Proverbs 18.1. Someone's phone is trying to connect to this, which is not a good idea. <laughs> Proverbs 18.1 says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Have you noticed that sometimes we'll be friendly to everyone else except our spouse or our family members? I mean, we've all done this. I've said things to my spouse I I wouldn't say to you. I'd say to no one else. And it started quarrels. I've treated my family in ways, I don't treat other people that way. Why was I so selfish with them? But through pursuing unselfishness, my marriage, my family, has grown my character. Zero in on, on this with me today. You are not taking your car. You are not taking your career. You are not taking your clothes to heaven. You're taking your character. God is building a character that is a foundation that he'll build off of in eternity. If you're um, in a family, which we all have family relationships, But the number one tool that God uses in your life to build Christ-like character uh, is one another. Because every day you get hundreds of opportunities to not think about you. You've got to care about your family. Hundreds of opportunities to not be self-centered on you, but to to sacrifice for your spouse. Now, maybe you say, but my spouse, my husband, my wife, my family, they're not even Christians. They're not following Jesus. They're not believers. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be saved for it to grow your character. Listen, was Christ ever selfless with unbelievers? Yes, all the time, absolutely. 
And what's amazing about this is that the more loving, the more giving, the more serving, the more sharing, the more unselfish you become, that's how you get happiness. The more, or the less self-centered you are and the more Christ-centered you are, that's how you get happiness. You will never be happy if you make happiness the goal of your life. And never! It is a carrot on a stick. Happiness is an elusive goal. It's when you start caring about other people rather than your happiness. It's when you, as Jesus says, pick up your cross and you serve others. When you love God, love others, that's when happiness comes with that. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let's read this one out loud together. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And I've learned that love, real love, really loving, is washing the dishes and taking out the garbage. And many of you could say, well, that, I mean, with what you've been through, that's only scratching the surface, Ryland. You'd say love changes a bedpan. Someone said it to me uh, this way once. Love is knowing what they're going to say before they say it. So I can forgive them even before they say it. The Whoa, that is love. And out of that kind of love comes a connection and a companionship that gives you the strength, the stability to handle enormous amounts of storms and enormous amounts of stress. God made marriage and family for the connection of men and women, the multiplication of the human race, the protection of children, the perfection of our character. Let's go to number five. We're going to do this one very quickly. For the construction of society. Marriage is the fundamental building block. Uh, every community, church, state, nation, society, and culture uh, builds on this institution that God ordained and started called the family. Uh, if you know anything about history, you know that where marriages are strong, where cultures, uh, um, that's where cultures and nations are strong. Empires are strong. Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Now let's go to number six, because this is the most important reason of all. And many of you have never even heard this reason uh, for marriage. But it's the primary, the deepest, most profound reason for marriage, and then we'll, we'll build out from there to the family. But God created marriage uh, for the reflection of our union with Christ. So did you know, did you realize that marriage is actually a metaphor? It's a symbol? It's a, it's a walking, living object lesson and billboard for, to show how much God loves us and how we are to be in a relationship with him. Marriage is simply a model of a very profound spiritual truth. I want to show it to you in one of the deepest passages in scripture. It's in Ephesians 5. Look at this with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So how did Christ do this? How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed his life. He, he lived perfect life in her place, died in her place. He made a way for 
for the church to be holy and blameless before God. That's the kind of love that husbands are to have for their wives where her needs are just before your own. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. It goes on in verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. So you're getting these illustrations that the church is a bride, the church is a body. Then he, he quotes, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he quotes that verse from Genesis again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So wait a minute, Paul, I thought you were talking about the mystery of marriage here. And he'd say, yes, that man and woman becoming one flesh, becoming one is a profound mystery. But he says it's a metaphor for the real mystery I'm talking about here is Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, each of you, yes, also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This is the most profound meaning of marriage. There are specific benefits that marriage gives, obvious, quantifiable, like what it does for women and men and, and, and kids in society, but the prof most profound meaning of marriage is not easy to grasp. If you've ever been to a wedding I've officiated, you'll hear this next part from it. I pulled it right out of a wedding that I do. Where there's a man and a woman standing up here, and I tell them, marriage is more. Marriage is more than this event. It's more than a ceremony. It's more than exchanging vows. It's more than exchanging rings. It's more than a promise you make. It's more than a party that you have. It's more than a honeymoon that you go on. It's, it's more than living together. It's even more than sharing a life together. All those things are wonderful blessings of marriage, but marriage itself is more. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant where two become one. And the point of it is not your marriage. It, it's a temporary symbol of a greater eternal reality. It's a picture of a covenant relationship that God has instituted between Jesus and his people. And so marriage is so sacred because it's a reflection of God's commitment to you. That it's more than a feeling. It, it's more than a promise. It's more than two people or it is two people becoming one. And no other relationship on planet Earth can demonstrate Christ's commitment to the church, God's love for his people. That it cannot be broken. God's love for you, God's forgiveness extended to you, God's passion for you, God's hope for you, and God being with you cannot be broken in time, space, or eternity. It is a covenant where Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And from that union, from that covenant, come kids and God says, oh, by the way, that, that relationship that you have with your kids and how it's like opening up all these things inside of you that you didn't know were possible, that's the way I want to be in relationship with you is I want you to see me as a heavenly father. And that you're not a slave, you're not a servant, you're not a worker bee, 
You're my child. And he says, the way that you want to respond in families, like this works together. I'm setting the example of what do you do when someone's wayward in the family? There is mercy, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's a way back. How do you respond to what, the way Christ did for the church? You lay your life down for them. He says, because that's what I'm doing for you. So before we get into the more practical parts of next week, let's not labor in vain. Let's let the Lord build the house. And no matter what your family is or your journey has been or the pain that this sparks today or the regrets that it has, which we all have, let's be reminded to look to God and his great love and compassion and mercy and commitment and covenant with us. And let's let the Lord build the marriage. Let the Lord build the family. Let's not labor in vain. Let's let, in order for relationships to work, let the one who designed them define them. You know, uh, twice in the Bible, Jesus says that there is going to be uh, no marriage in heaven. That uh, marriage is to become one, it's permanent, until death. Why? Why will there be no marriage in heaven? Because you won't need any of the six reasons that marriage exists. In a a perfect place or face-to-face with Jesus, you're not going to need the the, uh, multiplication of the human race. You're not going to need the protection of children. In a perfect place, you're not going to need the refinement of your character, the construction of society. Uh, You're not going to need a reflection of Christ's union. We'll see it, we'll know it, we'll experience it. You won't need a metaphor, you won't need a symbol, you won't need an object lesson, we'll have the real thing fulfilled. But here on earth, marriage and family matters, and the Bible says we're to honor it and reap the benefits. And what's amazing is that in spite of all the public and political pressure and confusion and distortion, we instinctively know as human beings, we recognize the beauty and the sweetness of one man, one woman committing themselves to become one flesh and to live together in holy matrimony. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I hear, I feel uh, the weight of uh, this message today in your words. And God, we all bring... um, our sin with us into the picture today. And we all bring what has been done to us uh, today. Things that we regret and things that we regret happen to us. And God, your word says that your love is wide and long and high and deep. It's wide enough to be everywhere. It's long enough to last forever. It's deep enough to handle anything and it's high enough to cover our mistakes. And so, Lord, while we fall short, we are so grateful that you do not fall short and that you offer us a covenant relationship that cannot be broken in time, space, or eternity. God, I pray that your spirit would create a warm fire of comfort and strength and peace and healing over our hearts. God, we want to live with faith. We want to see the world uh, from your perspective. We want to see our lives and families from your perspective. And we want to live uh, according to truth and according to you. Uh, Lift up this series in the weeks to come to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.